So Money Episode 506, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What's on your money mind? Welcome to So Money, everyone. It's Ask Farnoosh time where we tackle your biggest financial questions. We have a lot to get through. It's been a pretty busy week. You know, the end of the year is summoning and with that comes a lot of last minute to do's on my list. I'm sure yours as well. We've been doing, we've been keeping busy this month. You know, we had to get a new car. We had a renovation in our house. Another one. Yes. What is wrong with us? But it was much more minor than the one that we went through last year, which was like a combination of two apartments. Somehow I'm still married. But Evan's room was transitioned this week. He went from his bigger room to a smaller room. Sorry, little guy. But we have to make room for his sibling who's coming in March. And it just made more sense to move him into the slightly smaller room. But in order to make him feel like he wasn't going without or with less, we did it up. We did it up. Evan loves firemen and fire trucks and everything fire engine related. So we have a really cool room inspired by that. And we had this really fun couple come in and help us kind of rethink the space. And it was all very on a budget. And we'll have the pictures ready soon going online. So stay tuned for that before and after. Is pretty excited to unveil that for him this week. And what else? I mean, we're getting ready for the end of the year. So stay tuned on the show because we've got a lot of really cool recaps coming your way. We started this tradition last year and where we decided that the last two weeks of the year, we're going to really dedicate this to reflection, you know, looking back down memory lane on the podcast and doing kind of these thematic episodes where we look at some of the guests who've talked on similar subjects, uh, ranging from health and wellness to earning more women empowerment. So I'm really excited to uh, introduce those to you and kind of, you know, do a shout out to all those great interviews that we've had all year long. And I'd like to now welcome my my Vanna White. <laughs> the episode way more than Vanna White. I mean, you're my sidekick. Who am I? Who am I kidding? Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. Does it feel like when you're doing Ask Farnoosh that you're just like the revealer, like <laughs> just yeah. revealing the letters? No, it is. It's fun though. It's fun, and we have a lot of really good questions this week, and we want to make sure that you guys know too that when you go to so moneypodcast.com you can now leave a voicemail for us. It's not that visible. I, I'm sorry, the site's going to go through a total, really fantastic revamp in the new year. But in the meantime, we're trying to fit in a lot on the So Money podcast homepage. So where you go on the site, you go to the right-hand side on the side and there's a little widget that says like leave a message or record here and that's where you just easily can record with your laptop or phone an audio question and we'd love to you know start doing that to kind of mix it up a little bit and get us to hear your voices you hear our voices all the time we like to hear your voice for a change so if you want to take advantage of that we encourage you to in the meantime we just have some written in questions which is totally <laughs> still fine I'm um, starting with Leah right who wants yeah. to know about like the differences in the IRAs yeah, so she wants to know if there are any tax benefits to having both a traditional and a Roth IRA. 
Certainly. Well, as we know, this is kind of a one-on-one question, but I think that it's good to remind people that individual retirement accounts, there's two types, right? There's the traditional and a Roth. Each are fantastic. If you can, you know, take advantage of this, maybe in addition to a 401k at work, they each have tax benefits that work differently. And you could have one, you can have two, as in both, and still benefit from each of their tax advantages. A traditional IRA, you get the tax benefit today. So you pay money into the IRA, and then that contribution is deducted from your taxable income, and then you pay taxes on the withdrawals in retirement. With the Roth IRA, you get the tax benefit later. Your contributions are not deductible today, but the qualified distributions are made tax-free. And I like maybe dabbling in both because if you if you can, I think it's great to diversify your tax exposure in retirement. You know, we don't really know what our tax bracket's going to be at that point. Some of us could guess it could go up, but in some cases it could go down. Um, in either case, if you have both a traditional and a Roth, you've sort of leveled the playing field. One thing to note, though, is that if you do open up both an IRA and a Roth, a traditional and a Roth, and you contribute to both of them, the most you can contribute to all of your traditional and Roth IRAs combined is either the smaller of $5,500 or your taxable compensation for the year. So just keep that in mind. You can't do like $5,500 in the IRA, in the Roth, and for the 500 in the traditional, you have to make sure that that only the combination comes up to that. If you're age 50 or older, by the end of the year, then you can do 6,500 and an additional 1,000 in catch up. Um, but that's that's the good news that you know you can to Leah's point, you can take advantage of both of their tax benefits. But you know you just have to be mindful of that limit. And Sophia, you have a Roth, right? I do, and I maxed it out for 2016, and hopefully we'll be doing the same in 2017. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. A Roth is great, especially because when you're younger, this is the time to really get involved. We know that Roth IRAs have an income limit so far as once you hit it, you you start to phase out of your eligibility for the Roth. I, I forget the exact amount. It's something in the, like, I think it's like a hundred and I don't, don't quote me, but it's in the low 100,000s. But once you hit that, then you start to phase out of your eligibility for the Roth. So take advantage of it now while you can and you're young and, you know, maybe you're not excited about your low pay, but at least you can take advantage of these financial instruments. All right. Tiffany's next. She's 24. She's from California. She's making a good, decent salary. Yeah. So she's making 60000 a year, but she currently has 23000 in student loans and that's her only debt. But she has two goals. One is to buy a new car and the other is to become debt free. But the problem is that she is going to have to go back to school at some point to finish her degree, which means more student loans and a pay cut. And at that point, they'll just only be earning 32000 a year. So she's wondering if she should focus on paying off the debt or saving for a car. Hmm. Well, that's a really good question. I think She's going to need to drive, right? She's going to, I mean, I don't know what her car situation is right now. If you have no car, if you can just run this car into the ground while you're in grad school, great. If you can just skip getting a new car for the time being, great. Because that is going to be an added expense. And, you know, $23,000 in student loans, 
is not terrible and you are making a good salary now. So I assume that this is a comfortable monthly payment for you, but it sounds like it's going to get a little more difficult with added loans and the cut in salary. I just don't think it's the right time to be taking on a huge expense. That said, a car doesn't have to be a huge expense. If you have something like eight to $10,000, which is a lot of money, I get that. But If this is something that will be able to afford you a decent car to get you from point A to point B, to get you to your job, to get you to your classes, and then you can somehow still manage those loans, then that's kind of the strike of, that's the the happy medium balance. But this idea that you're going to have to take out a car loan on top of student loans, I just, I would first rather look at alternatives to buying that car Perhaps you could take public transportation. Can you hitch a ride with classmates? Can you just stay with the car that you have? Could you borrow a car? You know, there's maybe other ways to make this more tenable for you. But I think that knowing that you're going to have more debt coming in, it's just not the right time to make a huge purchase like that. Sorry. I know that's kind of like a sad answer, but, and cars are important. They get us from point A to point B. Like, I think that she has to do the math. You know, this is a situation where she gets the car and gets a loan for it and then she just digs herself further into debt. Well, what's that going to look like? How's that going to feel? Well, I was going to say it really depends too on the type of person that Tiffany is because, you know, especially there are some people out there who just the thought of debt is completely debilitating to them. You know, it's yeah. just so overwhelming and terrible, which that that's probably how I would be. But then there are some people who think, okay, well, in a couple of years, you know, it depends on what type of of degree she'll be getting. But maybe if she knows down the road, she'll be making a certain amount of money. It goes back to like what you said, just really doing the math and figuring out, you know, how much will you be earning down the road? Is it smart to take out the car, you know, to the money to buy a car now, et cetera. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how far her school is from her house, how far her job is from her house. Maybe she could rely on public transportation or maybe an occasional, you know, lift or taxi where in, I know in California, it's a lot more affordable there to get car service than like in New York city. And not saying this is going to be something that she can do every day, but maybe a combination of those two things will be, will prove more affordable for her than like clunking down, you know, $10,000 for a car which I know cars can be a lot more money, but I don't really think she's in the market. She should be in the market right now for like a 20,000 plus vehicle. I just don't. Um, Maybe after you graduate and you've got back to making like 60 K or more a year, then that's a different situation. And she had a follow-up, right? No. So actually you're always telling people to write in and this is a follow-up from Regina. And she said that, a few weeks ago, we answered one of her questions on robo-advising. She was really excited to hear your answer, and she wanted to share an update with you. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so I love this. <laughs> you're going to wait till you hear the, the rest of it. So she lives in New York City, and she opened a Roth IRA. She maxed out her contribution for 2016, and then she opened another account with Betterment. And she's embarrassed to admit it, but she actually just only read your book, Psych Yourself Rich, even though she's been following the podcast for a long time and she loves it so much that that's going to be the Christmas gift for all of her siblings this year. Nice. She says, so all of us will be so money in no time. (laughs) All right. What a, what a thoughtful, 
sibling you are, Regina. And thank you so much for sharing that update with us. I'm glad that the advice was helpful. I'm glad that you're really, you know, diversifying your retirement assets here. You've got a Roth, you've got Betterment account, and it's never too late to pick up Psych Yourself Rich. It's a timeless book. It talks about how to get your, you know, the discipline and the mindset for managing your financial. What is the subtitle anyway? It's like to get, how to get the mindset and discipline for mastering your financial life. It's been a while since I wrote the book, so I'm a little rusty on the subtitle. Apologies. But I love hearing that you have found the book. A lot of times people tell me, Sophie, that they find the books in the library, which is great. That's I love great. that. I, I'm so honored that our public library system is, you know, choosing to include this in their archives. So if you don't want to pay for it, totally cool. Go to your library, check it out. Thank you again, Regina. Love getting updates. That's it made my day. So our next question is from Marley. She's not engaged, but she and her boyfriend have talked about getting married in two to four years time, and they're the ones who will be paying for their wedding. They say a small one is not an option because they both have larger families. So they want to know of a short-term account that you might recommend where they can start saving up some money. Ultimately, they want to save anywhere from like forty to $50,000. And as of February of this coming year, she'll be debt-free. And she estimates that she can probably contribute anywhere from 1500 to 2000 each month. Wow. All right. So a lot of things going through my head. You know, I just got married four years ago. It wasn't inexpensive. We paid for it ourselves, but we only did that because we could. We had retirement all tucked away. We were saving for a rainy day. We didn't have any debt. So just Marley, make sure that if you're going to be contributing all this money towards your wedding, that you have all your other financial bases covered because this, while it is an emotional moment and it's like, a really important day in your life, it should not be something that sets you back financially. And it should never be something that compromises your ability to retire well, to, to have a, enough of an emergency account, et cetera, et cetera. So just be sure that you're being smart. And forty to $50,000 sounds like a lot of money, but you know what? These days, to like the average cost of a wedding in America is like thirty five grand, I think, last I checked. And if you're getting married in a big city like New York or Boston, I mean, double that. And that's not even getting like the, um, the swan icicle, you know, or <laughs> like whatever people get, like people go crazy with weddings. That's an understatement. So, swan, <laughs> swan ice sculpture. Sorry. Swan ice sculpture. <laughs> to this day though, father of the bride is my definite, like one oh of my, my favorite. I love that movie. Right. Yes. It's so great. Like all I wanted was Hans to do my wedding. <laughs> um, just cause he was so entertaining. I, so that's the first thing, Marley, is just make sure that this isn't going to be, you know, tipping the scale for you and your partner where to save. So that's really the question. I mean, short term accounts are all over the place. You could just save in your bank account. You could just you could save online where you might get a little bit more interest. I've talked about this on the show before. It's called smartypig.com. And this is a site that is set up to encourage people to save for goals. A lot of people who are saving up for a wedding, college, a car, etc., or just like a you know, a trip, something even maybe more affordable, go there to, to set up their accounts. You can get a slightly higher interest rate. I think, let me see, going on Smarty Pig right now, it fluctuates, you know, and so don't, this isn't like the end all interest rate, but right now you can get 0.9%, which is better than like a 
plain vanilla bank account, traditional brick and mortar bank account. So online banks typically have higher yields. And the other cool thing about Smarty Pig is that while it's encouraging you to save up for this goal, two things that's cool. You can redeem your cash once you've achieved your goal um, with Amazon and get a discount or other like vendors that they have partnerships with, which may or may not be applicable to you. Then you can also send the link to family and friends over the next, you know, whatever it was, two to three years that she's going to be maybe saving up for this wedding to get them to maybe, you know, donate, contribute to your wedding fund just something that, you know, they give you the option to do. So they provide this kind of like social, this social tool to get people to help you achieve your, your savings goal. So that's what I would say about that. But most importantly, just make sure that, you know, you're not going to go in over your head and talk to your family about the guest list, because I think it's really unfair. And Sophia, chime in because you've been going, you were like a bridesmaid recently. And I was. <laughs> a lot of your friends are getting married and you're kind of of like, you're of that age where, you know, you're going to be collecting a lot of bridesmaids dresses. <laughs> I know Sorry. it's starting already. No, it's true. But the fact is, is, and I've seen this, is like parents put a lot of pressure on their kids to invite like the third cousin twice removed. <laughs> and I'm just like, listen, unless they're paying for it, that's not cool. You I, know, no, you, I, you just, I'm with you. And I think like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think too, I mean, you, I understand that both of them have big families, but, and you know, obviously it's really responsible. They want to make sure everyone's included in their paying for their wedding. But as you said, I mean, I would definitely go to both sets of parents and say, listen, we're totally fine to pay our way through our wedding. We're, you know, we are excited to do this, but let's sit down and have a conversation about the guest list because at the same time, we do have a budget. We're going to stick to it. And this is the max that we're going to spend. And with that, this is where we're going to have to make cutoffs at some point. Right. I think that's a great way to introduce it to your family. Like, you know, I wrote about this before. It's like how to ask your parents for money for your wedding. Sometimes parents are just like, it's understood we're paying, but in other cases it's not because you're getting married later in life or it just, just wasn't something that your parents budgeted for. Or you don't want their help. There are myriad reasons, but if it is such a, a situation where you have this obligation, you feel you have this obligation to invite all these people and your parents are kind of nudging you to do that, then I think it's fair to go to them and say, look, we are prepared as a couple to put down this much money for our own wedding this is the cash. We've estimated that this will roughly mean we can have X many guests. Our family is bigger than that. Our extended family is bigger than that. Our friends on top of that is going to make it really impossible to budget accordingly. So we want to see if you would like to you know, participate in helping us fund this so that we can make room for more family members. Otherwise, we are going to have to make the unfortunate cuts that we have to just because of budgets. And it's not because we're going overboard. We're not, you know, we're not getting, we're not doing a sushi bar. Like we're, we're really just trying to have a good fun time reasonably, but you know, people, the guest list adds up and every head is money that we have to spend on. So just being open and honest and, and giving them time to kind of come up with strategy is, it's a good idea. Sometimes one way to reduce the guest list is, is to say no kids and just kind of make these like blanket rules, no kids, you know, maybe you don't do significant others for people who like are just dating. Maybe it's just you know, people who are in serious relationships. Well, I was going to say there's the, I've heard the rule, no ring, no bring. 
No ring, no ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I should have. You know, for my wedding, I felt bad for some of my single friends who were going to come and they didn't know anybody. So I, I was like, you know, you can bring a date, but honestly, that is your call. Like, I, I don't know if I would, I wouldn't have done it if it was a lot of my friends who were single, but I had one or two. And I just said to them, you know, if it would make you feel more comfortable and you could enjoy your night more, you can bring, you know, a date. All right. I love wedding questions. There's so many I nuances. Too. Weddings. <laughs> I know. And like you said earlier, it's just becoming more and more expensive, more over the top. It's like, I, I'm speaking from experience, having been a bridesmaid so far, and I, I have a couple coming up. It's like, the the bachelorette weekend alone is just so oh, much money it. and you know I love my friends I'm so willing to do it but at the same time it's like that's precious money that could be spent going towards my savings or retirement but then again it is a wonderful experience so you have to look at it that way too so there are pros and cons I do think though that as the bride and groom you need to be really respectful and cognizant of the fact that your peers your friends you've invited to be in your wedding party aren't making bank, you know, and agree, you're, yeah. you're getting married at a time in your life where it's really crucial to be saving and you're not making a ton of money. A lot of us in your twenties. So it's really ridiculous to expect us to fork over hundreds and hundreds of dollars for every event leading up to the wedding. Plus, and then there's the wedding gift. It's like, I just hope you guys stay married. I know it's never ending. Please, and then please just stay married. Then there's the okay. accommodations, the travel. It's, it just, it, you know, I told my dad, I was like, honestly, I'm eloping. I'll let you know so you can be there, <laughs> but I'll be at city hall or something like that. <laughs> Keep it very simple. Well, Let's, when you come back, we'll throw a big party for you. Sounds good. I, I think that would be more fun. <laughs> People do that. It's, do. it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that. My parents eloped and it ended up working out very well for them. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> wise, wise advice from Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're finally on to our last question and it comes from Chris. He wants to know if you're planning to split savings three ways between retirement, a cash reserve and a home down payment. What percentage can you allocate to rent? from your income for the time mm. being as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the rule of thumb, regardless of what your other, what other things you have going on is to not spend more than 28, 30% of your take home pay on housing. That's rent or mortgage. If you are someone like Chris, who also has these, you know, these other goals going on, including saving up for an emergency, retirement, and a home down payment, then I think that you want to maybe go even lower to 20%, 15%, maybe move back in with a parent or find very, very affordable digs to be able to accomplish these goals. Again, depends on your timeline too. If it's something that you want to accomplish in one year, then you're going to have to be extremely aggressive and save a lot on rent. But I mean, Chris will probably know more than I, the, but, but Chris, I will say like no more than 28% on rent. And if you're living in a big city like New York, that can feel very, very challenging. It, it is literally very challenging. There's sometimes no way around it. So you have to move someplace else. So that's the rule of thumb. I was actually reading this article. It was in Refinery29 recently. It was about all these young singletons who live all over the world, like country, all making the same salary. I think it was 44000 a year. And the woman who lived in New York was spending more than one 
two-week paycheck on rent. Oh my goodness. Well, those are my favorite stories, but they are a little depressing. It's like, I make X amount of money and live in X city, comma state, and this is what I can afford where, you know, or barely afford where I, where, you know, where I live. And you're like, oh my goodness, it makes me look at it and think, well, maybe I shouldn't be living in New York City if you can get a much bigger place with much less rent and like, you know, middle of America. But then again, you know, it's not as exciting. Yeah, it's there are trade offs to living in the middle of America, (laughs) just as there are trade offs to living on the coastal cities. But I think that what was also interesting, like a, a pattern I found wherever these ladies lived, a lot of their money was going towards personal care and grooming and like gyms and manicures. And I was like, where's your Roth IRA? (laughs) Where's your emergency fund? Like, you know, they would rather not eat. Instead, they wanted to get to their soul cycle class. You know, like that's, that's the, that's the state of America right now. Young women in America, perhaps just from the snapshot. I'll send this article to you. It's really cool. Refinery29.com is doing some really great money stuff right now. They have Leah Goldman as executive editor. She came from Marie Claire and Forbes. She's amazing. She's actually been on the show as a guest. And she's I, I, I attribute a lot of the content now that I'm reading and loving to her because uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that she started working there. And there's all this really great you know, content and advice around work and career and money which is really uh, Leah's wheelhouse. So check out refinery29.com, kind of an unexpected resource for this sort of information, but it is, it's great. Thank you everyone for your questions, including Chris and Marley and uh, Regina for that awesome follow-up. Merry holiday to you, Tiffany and Leah. And Sophia, of course, thank you so much. Thank you. Hope your weekend is so money. 